0: Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Occupied. Today, I had the lovely Amy Tipple come in to explore her experience of going through occupational therapy school, uh, starting a podcast somewhere in the middle there, and has recently graduated and started work, and some hints, tips, um, some of the challenges through that whole process. Uh, You can find her on Occupation Station Podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Where you're listening right now, you'll also be able to find it. Um, Check out the show notes for any extra links and connections that are discussed during this episode. So enjoy and let's kick it off. G'day, my name's Brock Cook, and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at occupiedpodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode.
1: That's really funny because I a thousand percent agree with that. Um, I was actually a nursing major in undergrad and, uh, to go into the program that I was applying to, you needed to do like volunteer work. So through a friend, um, I was volunteering at a school that was for visually impaired children and I was helping out in their after school program, basically just babysitting and, you know, hanging out with them and, I remember walking by a room that had a big window. And on the window, it said occupational therapy on it. And I had never heard of it, didn't know what it was. Uh, And then I ended up deciding that nursing school wasn't going to be the route for me. So I was like, okay, I got to figure something else out. Got to figure out another career to go into. And I was like, I wonder what occupational therapy is. So I Googled it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that sounds kind of cool. You know, I had kind of looked into PT, but I don't know, occupational therapy just sounded a lot cooler to me. And so I started going down that route and kind of honestly didn't really know too much about it before committing to it. And I started my volunteering for OT school and fell in love with it immediately. And it was the best thing i ever did i think
0: so what was it about about nursing that you weren't so keen on
1: so the program that i was at, my undergrad they had uh it was super competitive so in my class my freshman year there was 500 nursing students like pre-nursing students i would I should say um but out of the 500 that they accepted there was only 53 spots in the program wow And Yeah. And so we were all going to be applying at the same time. And so basically you're taking all these classes, all these prereq classes with other pre-nursing students and everyone is just constantly stressed. And it was like, if I didn't get a hundred percent on this one little quiz, I'm not going to get into nursing school. And it was just so much pressure. And I am a very average student. I just have always, I'm good. No, like I'm good at, I'm fine at school. Like I'm good at school, but like I don't, I don't need to get like a hundred percent on every single assignment to feel like I've succeeded. I say I'm so,
0: more realistic student than a, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't sell yourself so, <laughs> <too short here. laughs>
1: I mean, I did end up getting a master's degree, so I guess I shouldn't say average, yeah. but. Um, I just, I didn't thrive in that high pressure environment. And so I knew that my GPA wasn't going to get me into nursing school. And I had, I had like a 3.6 at that point. Like it wasn't a bad GPA. It was just not the 4.0 that I needed to get into nursing school. So I don't know. I just kind of decided it wasn't going to be for me.
0: That's a really small nursing course. 50 students. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's tiny. I'm just comparing it to like ours where I think between the on course and the online masters, I think there's probably 500 students.
1: Yeah. You would like, think, and I honestly don't know why it was so small, but yeah. it, it's also like the cheapest school in the area. So everyone applies to it. Even people that, you know, aren't in that university.
0: Odd. And yeah. when you when you looked up OT, do you remember what you actually found? What was it about? What what did you read about OT that you went, "Oh yeah, that sounds cool." Or did you just see a photo of someone playing in a ball pit or?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's stuff. kind of what it was. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a pediatric yep. OT Always. like. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, playing with kids? Like that sounds cool.
0: <laughs> I can do that." <laughs> awesome. So you started so your, because your like whole university structure is very different now. So you said that you started you volunteering. What's that about? Because we don't have that. I don't think.
1: Yeah. So um, for nursing school, for OT school, I guess it's same for both. For so for OT, um, when you apply, a lot of programs ask that you have volunteer hours. So, um, and they recommend that you do it in different settings. So I volunteered at it was an outpatient outpatient pediatric clinic. There was um a karate studio where the sensei was an OT and every all the volunteers would get paired up with a student and they all had different, you know, developmental and physical needs. Um and you would go and be their like one on one helper and you had to learn all the Karate stuff. And it was really like there was so much training for that one, but it was that one was really cool. And then I also um, volunteered at an outpatient orthopedic clinic, which I'm actually working at now. Um, but it, it's just to kind of like you just sit there and like wipe down surfaces and help them clean Thanks. and kind of watch the OT doing their thing. Exactly. Exactly. And then you get to put it on your resume. <laughs>
0: Weirdly enough, that's the second karate slash OT practice I've heard of. Really? So, uh, John John Rivera, who's been on the podcast before, is also a karate. I'm assuming it's called a karate sensei or whatever. But mm-hmm. he, as part of his his practice, key creative up in Canada, they um they run a like a karate program for yeah. for kids with with disabilities and their families. It's like so cool. Brothers yeah, and sisters and stuff attend as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was the same at the place I was at. And it was really cool, too, because he would take time to um, practice. Like, he integrated, like, social training, too. So there was things where they would – in the middle of the class, they would stop, and then the kid would have to have a conversation with you, like the three parts of a conversation or four parts or whatever. And it was really, really neat, and he taught them the um, – I don't remember what it's called, but it's the the – the blue zone, the red zone and the green zone or something like the zone the zones of regulation oh, that's yeah, what yeah. it's called. Yeah, yeah. So they knew like oh if i'm getting really agitated like i need to do this instead and it was it was really 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 neat to see for sure.
0: That's so random. That's kind of cool though. Yeah. So how long's the the course was the masters or undergrad that course? Masters.
1: The masters, yeah. So that yeah. was two and a half years.
0: So what was your undergrad?
1: My undergrad was actually in kinesiology um, and seems, exercise science.
0: It seems to be a fairly common route in the States, even though it, I, don't, yes. I don't even think it exists in Australia. Really? Yeah.
1: Interesting. That's funny. That's, that's super weird. So I, I remember Googling you know, during my Google search about what OT was. I landed on a Reddit page for OT and someone had asked like, what's the best route to go in undergrad to get into OT school? And like the general consensus was to do kinesiology. So that's why I switched from pre-nursing to kinesiology.
0: Um, yeah, there's no, it's not a university qualification in Australia. Hmm. There's a lot of, Um. I don't know what the equivalent is, but like there's, we have TAFE, which is kind of, Like vocation, a lot of vocational courses. So, a lot of if you're doing a trade, you also the educational component of the trade is run through TAFE. I don't even know what TAFE stands for actually. Um, but there are by the look of it, I just looked it up, there seems to be some kinesiology qualifications through that, but I can't see any university
1: Hmm.
0: qualifications in kinesiology. I know it's a subject that. As a subject, it gets taught in, I think, to our physios, but we never did anything like that in OT. The first time I'd heard of it was probably talking to Americans. Like, yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, I know what and kinesiology what... is, but I didn't know it was a, as a course, I didn't know what it was.
1: When you say physio, what does that ah, mean?
0: Of course, another thing, another <laughs> lost in translation, physiotherapist.
1: <laughs> okay. So you guys. Is you that mean? this, is that a physical therapist? Yes. So okay. They're a
0: physical therapist to you. They're a physiotherapist to us. It's all one word for
1: Interesting. us. Interesting. Oh, okay. Cool.
0: See, America... It's the same everywhere else in the world. American just has to be different.
1: We suck.
0: <laughs> we, I wasn't going to say that. I was say, you have to be different. Everything. Like, what? Everyone else in the world uses the metric system. Stuff it, We're using the imperial system. So. When you. Do you feel like when you first started, uh, when you first went into OT, the OT course and you first started, do you feel like you understood it, (laughs) understood what you were actually getting yourself into?
1: I think by that point I did because I was about a year or so into the volunteering. So I had like 300 hours going into ot school so i'd been kind of exposed to it i think enough to know more or less what i was getting myself into i think what i didn't expect was um more like the inpatient acute side of things um because i had never i had never seen that part of it which i think weirdly enough is maybe one of like the bigger specialties
0: i I I feel like most students that's the bit they know and they are shocked (laughs) that we work anywhere else
1: yeah yeah so
0: so, was there anything that you felt super? Oh, like what was the 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 topics or the the subjects et cetera, that you found like made a lot more like were pretty easy, I guess, based on your previous experience, your volunteer hours, and that sort of stuff. Was there anything that you probably, went? Oh yeah, this is crazy. I, I understand this.
1: Oh yeah, I think probably our um, we had a whole course on hands on hand therapy and. Um, a lot of people hated it. There were only like a handful of us that actually wanted to go into hand therapy. And so everyone else like really hated that class. But I loved that class. It was a hard class, but I loved that class so much. And then when it came to our practicals with splinting, I had been allowed to kind of mess around with the splinting material while I was volunteering. So, I kind of already knew how to work with it. And that was honestly like my favorite thing. I mean, it's still my favorite thing to do is to make a splint, but. Um...
0: Me, I saw you post on Instagram like the other day, like, oh my God, <laughs> it's been too long. It's just a picture of two bits. Yes. Plastic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I get so excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's so exciting to just. <clears throat> make something out of this flat sheet of plastic and something that has so much functional use i think it's i think it's really cool
0: (laughs) so what was that something you did on your volunteer hours like making splints and handling that stuff
1: um so my the kind of so the clinic that i was at um there were a couple days where it would just be like super slow because of cancellations or whatever it was was but uh the therapist had a bin of scraps and she would pull the bin out of scraps and she would hand me yes she would (laughs) hand me a like a pre like another one that like an example that she had made and she would be like okay make this and then she would just leave me in there for like 30 minutes and i would like have to figure out how to you know macgyver all these like scraps together to make this splint that she wanted and it was, it was so fun, so. so I think it was unique in that sense.
0: This is a completely random question. If you can still make the splints off the scraps, are they scraps? Ha, stumped.
1: <laughs> I think at the end they wouldn't be scraps, but I think they would start. Scramps. I don't
0: know. I'm just there. I just—I don't know. Maybe I'm in a recycling mood recently. But I'm like, why are they? Why are they wasting things if they can still make make splints out of them? Is there a reason? There must be a reason. I don't know. I, it's a good point. Never really done. I did. I've made one splint in my. No, sorry, two splints in my life. I made one at university and I made one on placement. No, I think I made two on placement. I must be an expert. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely wasn't my. Uh, The the making stuff was fine because, I don't know, I like making stuff, but I'm like, I'm so bored.
1: No. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It was like, to me, and this is, again, on placement, it was like, oh, you've got this injury, look it up in a textbook. Oh, this splint, okay, yep, follow these instructions, I'll make that splint, cool. I'm like, I am so bored. And I didn't have anything to talk to the dude about because I'm like, everything had been done. that I got told, like, literally just go in there. You like make the splint you fit him for it and that was it it was like a half hour consultation and i barely spoke to the dude because i was in another room oh like, wow oh, i'm so bored <laughs> so bored you know me I, I like to talk to people yeah or at least feel like i'm doing something useful it, that was i mean the like i said the making stuff was fun for the first 10 minutes but i'm like okay this is like this is not this is not gonna be my area i can tell already
1: really that's so interesting because i feel like i mean i guess maybe the setup that you're at was different but i've always this is splinted in front a long of time them ago as well <laughs> well i've always splinted like directly in front of them so like they're watching me do it and i think like it gives me an opportunity to just talk to them because they're just sitting there like not really doing anything for half of it which i think a lot of like hand therapy it's a lot of building that therapeutic client relationship which i really enjoy i really love that part of it
0: it was a it was a pretty old building and it was like had the a couple of oh they would call them interview rooms but essentially like yeah just a room with a couple of chairs and a table Mm -hmm. but then all the splitting equipment was in the like the i don't know what it was called the Bay Marie, pretty much um was in the room next door so i was like go on and melt it come back fit it go back yeah. get all the straps blah 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 all that sort of stuff yeah so yeah i'd say it was probably just at that hospital and that that building was not I think, i'm pretty sure it was like 100 years old or something stupid but it wasn't oh, wow. it wasn't purpose built for that purpose i think they were mm-hmm. just making do with what they had but yeah um yeah they didn't tend to get a lot of hands stuff there that was kind of more a generalist outpatient um mm. clinic because it was like in a rural town as well. So you mm, kind I of get a little bit of everything. So I did a lot more like I did stroke. I did um, a lot of community like accessibility stuff. So like handrails and equipment. and Did a bit of everything on that place. I mean, it was interesting overall. But mm. yeah, just that particular yeah. thing. I'm like, oh, I couldn't picture myself doing this every <laughs> single day. <laughs> it's just not my jam. And I'm I mean, like, it's not. I it's definitely, definitely not for
1: like, everyone. Yeah.
0: So what was, uh, what was the, oh, I guess on the other end of the spectrum, what was most difficult after?
1: Probably all of the stroke and like spinal cord stuff because I had never seen a stroke or spinal cord patient. So I didn't know, it just didn't, it didn't click in my head they would be like, oh, it's a C6 and this is what they can do. Like, how would you help them? And in my mind, I was like, what is that? I don't, I can't see that, you know? And then it was, I think after my, I had a level one in an inpatient um, hospital, but that was only two weeks. So coming back from that, I had seen a couple strokes and a couple of spinal cord injuries. So I kind of had a better grasp of it, but even then I don't think I ever fully fully really understood strokes or spinal cord injuries.
0: Do you think it's more so like you you were saying you couldn't see it, I'm assuming more on a conceptual level, but do you think it's because the injury itself you can't see, whereas a hand injury you can see?
1: Yes. Yeah. And I think that's why I gravitated to hands so much was because like in my mind hand therapy like the issues that come with hand therapy and the treatment it's more concrete to me than a stroke or spinal cord injury and i that's interesting that you've worded it that way because i feel like and not i don't know i haven't whenever i tell people like yeah like hand therapy is more concrete they're like what? Well, like you still can't see like the inside but and it's like yeah but like you can see more directly what's wrong mm. per se i guess
0: and i think especially with uh i think more so with the 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 stroke than the spinal injury, like yeah you yeah okay there's a stroke you can't see into your brain like from mm-hmm. the armament without technology, but like yeah. just you as a clinician looking at a person um like you can see how they move, how they operate, what symptoms they're presenting, and then sort of reverse engineer where the 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 stroke may have occurred mm-hmm. um and obviously nowadays we have technology that we can scan and look in there but with a hand like it's you know if something's broken it's broken you could there's not a lot of skin or, or meat on a hand you can usually yeah. see it um, right and there's it's a lot less moving parts than say a brain so right it's you know if this finger doesn't work or if this nerve isn't you know conducting well or whatever it is like you it's a lot less things that you can deduce uh what's going on there um yeah And I think because of that too, like any kind of injury, you can usually go, okay, well, that's going to impact or potentially impact this nerve, this nerve or, you know, this muscle, Mm -hmm. this bone, whatever's going on in there. Right. Um, There's just a lot less moving parts. As complex as a hand is, there's a lot less moving parts than a brain.
1: Yeah. No, definitely agree.
0: (laughs) But it's interesting that you say uh, that it's a lot more concrete because that's that's definitely a view that I've – I think that was one of the reasons why I didn't like it. Was because mm. it was that it was a lot more. I don't know. I found it a lot more prescriptive, which is I, I think similar to what you're describing in that it's a lot more sort of this is wrong, this is how we fix it kind of thing. Um, and I think I, I think that's why I, I didn't resonate with it, and I think that's why I went to mental health because it was more like I don't know. I always found mental health to be more like detective work, and I have to like try and put all the pieces and find all the clues and. You know, try and work out what's going on and then come up with some creative way to to fix it. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's different OTs. Obviously, we're all different and different OTs are going to resonate with different areas. Like there's people that like working in geriatrics and I'm like, I don't want to do that. Or kids. Kids (laughs) is a big one. Everyone's like, oh, you can work with kids. I'm like, I don't want to work with kids. I don't want to work with parents. (laughs) Like I literally, I've had one kid on my caseload during placement and I was like, that's it. That's enough. Uh, no. <laughs> the one kid ruined it for me. Like, <laughs> I still remember this kid because he just, and I had no idea what I was doing. Again, it was on that same placement that I did the hands. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was a different one. It was like, actually, it was first year. My very first year, we had an observational placement. It was in the same location as the the... Uh, the hands story, but different placement. Um, and I went out with the OT. We were doing a home visit, but we were like meeting them in a park. And this little kid, he had like little Hulk hands on, little green Hulk hands. And yeah. he literally wouldn't sit still. And he just ran around screaming, smashing his hands together because when he smashed them, they made like Hulk noises. And <laughs> he did that for 45 minutes. And I got in the car after and I'm like, yeah are nah. that is not
1: really wow i feel like we're very i think i think i'm getting the sense that we're like definitely attracted to the very opposite things because i love that about kids i love i did a pediatric rotation for my second level two and i loved having to match them and match like where they were at that day i
0: left my whole cans at home though
1: But, like, that's, like, I feel like, I don't know, with kids, like, it's just so fun to, like, mess around with them and kind of, like, meet them, like, wherever they are, even if it's a bad day. And I think um, I really – I had a couple kids that um, had really bad days. And that challenge, I think, I really, really enjoyed um, tackling it, even though, you know, it wasn't as easy as – you know, okay, we're just going to tie our shoes today. Be like, oh, throw in a couple of meltdowns in there and, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, I think, again, that was, that was first year. I think that was probably four or five months into a four-year course. So I literally knew nothing. Uh, and I was like, I don't know how anyone could work with this. <laughs> just... Just the like, there was no. I couldn't get any communication, and I wasn't even working with them. I was just observing, (laughs) and I'm like, I don't know how. I still know the therapist, and we still talk, like, like reminisce about that one home visit. (laughs) And I'm like, I no, that ruined ruined it for me. So no, it's it is interesting. Like, and like you said, we seem to be literally on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum, (laughs) which is cool. Because it means, like, it's cool to see that, uh, like, you don't all have to be, it's not like a cookie cutter profession, like, everyone Mm -hmm. can be completely different. And there's, the breadth of the profession is that there is a place for, you know, like, very different backgrounds, very different experiences, very different, you know, likes, dislikes, etc. Like, and we can all fit under the one umbrella.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's beautiful in that way. I think.
0: So, what else? What What other challenges did you find with the the course? Going through OT.
1: Um.
0: Do you feel like the course prepped you well enough for working as an OT?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I think, uh, our, I mean, i different, obviously different programs are, have their weaknesses and strengths, but I think one of the biggest strengths of my program was that we did get a lot of hands-on training. And so going into my placements, I, every, it's like at the beginning of every single one, you're just like freaking out that, you know, you're not going to know what to do. And then you get in there and you start immediately recognizing and, saying, oh, yeah, like, this is what you're supposed to do. And, like, oh, yeah, like, I remember I'm supposed to do that. So I think um, I had a lot of those moments where things were just clicking and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I know what to do. I'm ready for this. I'm prepared for this. So I think definitely um, I was ready for a, a lot of it, definitely.
0: Was there anything you came out and went, oh, gee, I wish I'd paid attention a bit more to that?
1: Um, I hope none of my professors listen to this episode because no one's listening it's just (laughs) (laughs) um i definitely did not pay attention enough to all the theory that goes into ot okay and and i think it's yeah i just it was such a dense class for me that i it's kind of turned my brain off um and I mean, when it came time to study for the board exam, I think that was something that like really freaked me out because I was like, man, I really did need to pay attention to that class. But, um, so I mean, it, even in that, and even in some of my placements where they would like ask like, okay, well, what theory would you use? And I was like, I don't, I don't buy a mechanical. I don't know.
0: <laughs> so was that stuff I'm assuming situated like quite early in the course?
1: Yes. I think it was. <laughs> I think it was maybe our second or third semester. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was our second semester. So it was super early on. Because
0: that's one thing I have wondered. Because in, same in our course, um, it tends to be... And even when I went through many moons ago, it seems to be very... Like, I think when I went through it, it, was like one of the very first subjects. It was like models. And I'm like, I got to the end of that subject. I'm like, I have no idea what any of these words mean.
1: Yeah. There's nothing to...
0: <laughs> I think it would be different if you came in like, you know, you'd been out working for 10 years and then you'd gone back for like a career change or something Mm -hmm. and you've got some life experience to, I guess, kind of anchor a lot of those terms and a lot of that stuff too. But like I'd come pretty much straight out of high school Uh, and, you know, as, as wise and as street smart as I thought I was, I was an idiot. Like I didn't know anything uh and i feel like putting the models uh that close to the start didn't and again i i i was a very average student in every aspect of the 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 term but it didn't really resonate with me because i couldn't anchor it to anything i didn't have any background knowledge i didn't have any yeah. Experiences that I could go, oh, that's like when this happened to me or that kind of thing. So I, I really struggled with uh, the theory aspect of it as well when I went through. And I wondered, I have wondered for a long time. Like I understand why it needs to be at the start because then all of the other stuff that we learn is meant to build off it and we're meant to be able to, um, I guess, use that models or think in those sort of frameworks throughout. The rest of the course or throughout applying the other knowledge Mm -hmm. that you gain through the course but also on the flip side I'm like is it would it be better to go through some of the other stuff get some experience you know some of the more practical stuff maybe and then come back to the theory sort of in the middle maybe Mm -hmm. just so that those who don't, which, I mean, I don't know about most courses over there, but the majority of the students that we have over here are straight out of high school kind of thing. They're, you know, seventeen 18 when they first get in the course. So, And I would say that's probably maybe 75% of them. Hmm. Um, so I'm assuming, I mean, Garrett, granted, there's going to be some that have more experience than others, but I'm assuming they're probably all in a very similar boat to what i was at the time
1: right yeah i think for sure i think there wasn't enough context to like you said like anchor down those models but i think by the end of it and even when i was studying for my board exam i remember going through some of the models and i was like why did i think this was so hard like it makes sense but then i was drawing from all the things that i had Mm. seen when i was out on my rotation so i think in that like it was easier for me to grasp it then But I remember, like when I took the class, it was so hard, and I just didn't didn't get it.
0: And I think the other thing is when you don't understand something like that, you tend to rote learn it. So you're literally Mm -hmm. just regurgitating what's on the page, and you Mm -hmm. don't. Which isn't. I mean, that's not a bad thing per se, especially when you are younger and you're using very much sort of um, like fluid intelligence to get a grip on some of these things. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, and you start like I guess you start moving into that sort of crystallized intelligence mode where you really are sort of taking in the the concepts and then being able to apply them to situations instead of needing sort of examples of how that applies in every situation in order to learn it like mm-hmm. people do when they're sort of younger. Um, like how I learnt theories back in the day would be very different to how I, or is very different to how I learn them now, like... Just based on development and how old mm-hmm. I am, because I'm so old. Um, <laughs> it's, but again, even then, I like I, I completely because I'm now on the other side of the 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 fence. Like I completely understand that actually designing a course that targets those two different ways of learning something is very hard. Like, it's, yeah,
1: I bet yeah. it's
0: hard to try and target something to younger people that need those examples, like a wide range of examples to get their head around it, as well as people that just need to get their head around the conceptual aspect of it and then they can apply it to different right. situations. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, although it's probably not as relevant to you because even though you finished, you're still very young. <clears throat> no offence. Uh, I don't know if that's offensive <laughs> or not. I don't know. Some people relish in it. Some people are like, I'm oh, not that young. <laughs> Comparing it to me, um, but have you noticed your learning style change? I guess throughout the course, and then now that you've finished, or have you? you oh yeah, yeah.
1: Well, in in some ways, I think um, I'm still a very visual and hands-on learner, but I think. I don't think I knew how to study before I got into OT school, which is weird because I went not, to college for four years, you know, like,
0: I don't, but yeah, that's
1: weird. I studied a lot in undergrad, but I don't, I think my, the way I studied and started to approach things, it's completely different in OT school. And I think like it had to be because the way that I was studying before, just wasn't it wasn't good enough, I think, for – I can, mean, the first – our first give, semester. Can
0: you give examples of how, like, what did you used to do compared to, like, what you did towards the end?
1: Yeah. So, the first semester, we take anatomy, and it's – I think it's, like, a three- or four-hour lecture in the morning and then a three-hour lab in the afternoon. Um, so, the first semester, it's – I think we take three classes, but the other two classes are, like, relatively easy. Um And so really like all you do is study anatomy and go to the lab and work on your dissection. Um, And so it was, and it's so much material that you need to get under your belt in such a quick amount of time. So I used to always just like rewrite whatever PowerPoints were given to us and whatever notes I had in the PowerPoints, I would just rewrite them. Um,
0: Talk wood for
1: and Yeah. And then I would just, Kind of I think just like writing them out like that would help me kind of remember them, but then i don't i don't remember doing much more than that in undergrad um but then, when it came to like o t school just writing it out like that wouldn't it just wasn't enough you know I had to talk it out a lot more with my friends that I would study with and um a lot and especially anatomy, a lot of drawing things out because again, I needed that like visual like okay, how is this physically connected to this other thing and um I think making it more visual for myself um, in that kind of way.
0: Had you always been a visual learner or is that something that was relatively new? Like how did you go in like high school or primary school? I don't know, whatever you guys call them. Honestly, I don't
1: remember. I don't remember what, what kind of student I was in high school. I don't. Again, I've always been like a pretty average student, but in high school, I don't remember ever like studying like super hard for anything, but high school is, I don't know. It was... It's high school. Yeah. You just get by.
0: <laughs> Still discovering all these new parts of the world back then. So schoolwork tends <laughs> to take a backseat.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. No, it's interesting because it sounds like you've moved like only sort of recently, either that, or you've only just sort of discovered That you're a visual learner as opposed to it actually changing. Because I'd be surprised if it changed. But it sounds like you've just sort of worked it out. Well, not Mm -hmm. just, but like when you went into OT school, worked it out. Because I see even in the room, like you've got photos and there's lots of colors and all sorts of stuff around. (laughs) It's a mess. It's it's a very visually intensive area. And even the shirt that you're wearing is like multicolored tie dye like you seem like a very <laughs> i reckon if you have you ever done a sensory profile?
1: Yes, we actually had to do those in school, and, and I'm how pretty did it sure come out for visual i I think I was like sensory seeking i'm very like i've and I've discovered a lot about myself throughout o t school, which interesting I think it's a good thing, but I've noticed that. That like sensory-wise, I'm definitely sensory seeking, and I think I probably might have undiagnosed like ADD or something. Because, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, what do you feel like? you Or did you find that you're sensory seeking for all senses or just some?
1: Um, I th- think for most of them. Particularly like vestibular wise, because I remember when we were going through pretty sure it was our pediatric course, um, I just remember there's a lab and I don't know why we had yoga balls, but we had yoga balls. And the whole time I had that yoga ball, I was just bouncing up and down like properly like getting myself at least like a foot in the air. Like I was bouncing on a thing and my professor would like, just look over at me and start laughing at me. And then she would be like, are you okay? And I'd be like, yeah, no, like I'm fine. And like, it was so calming for me. And I was just like, this is exactly what I needed right now. in this afternoon. And then I noticed when I would drive, I would start taking sharper turns so that I could like get that like spin this Taking is a
0: turn. Starting to sound worrying.
1: <laughs> and very controlled and controlled corners where there was no traffic. But
0: kids don't I did, no- I to did notice
1: I was <laughs> I did notice I was doing that a lot more.
0: That's interesting. <laughs> Remind me not to uh be on the road near you near any corners. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be, yeah, it could be sensory seeking. Um, it could be, I mean, it could also be low registration in that you're not, like, you need more input to actually register mm-hmm. Register yeah. you up into that sort of optimal arousal range for that, that particular sense.
1: Yeah, and I actually, I noticed that specifically during our exams and it got to a point where i had to like go talk to my professors and tell them like hey like this is what i think is going on during tests and i don't know i like i told i asked one of them i was like i don't know what to do like i need help like i just you know um and i think a lot of it was it stemmed from i don't i don't know but i i know that during the exams i would be very tired and i couldn't focus and it, it got to the point where like I would put my head down and take like five or ten minute naps during our exams because I just like I was so tired and I couldn't focus and I couldn't read. And I did get my eyes checked out and I did end up needing reading glasses. But even with the reading glasses, like I was so distracted during the test and it, I would position myself in the most like uncomfortable, like weird. I would – put the chair as low as it could go. And I don't know why these chairs went so low, but they would go super low. And so the desk would be up at my shoulders. And so I would be up here taking my exam and then my legs, like they would go one direction and then I would switch them. And I would just always be shifting in my desk, but like always like in a very not ergonomic way like it was not at all and i had a couple of professors ask me about it like at different times they were like why were you sitting like that like you know and i told them like you know i don't know like it helps me focus and i got permission from my professors to stand up during my exams um they told me as long as it wasn't being like a distraction to the people around me so i was allowed to like stand up and take my, like, lean over the desk and take my exam that way um, as I needed to, which was actually really, really helpful. Because um, I would switch between that position and then I would also sit, like, on my knees on the chair. Yeah, it was, yeah. You're that kid. <laughs> I was that kid. <laughs> no,
0: that makes sense. I mean, even if uh, an exam, condition uh, exam conditions are very sensory depriving like they mm-hmm. you're facing one way it's generally the front of the room there's nothing going on at the front of the room because it's an exam everyone mm-hmm. is quiet uh you're stuck in that seat at least for i don't know about how your exams run but we have like a minimum time where you essentially you have to stay I think it's usually about like if it's a three hour exam you have to stay for the first hour at least what so it's mainly just to stop people disrupting everyone else as they sort of really get into the swing of things Mm
1: um that's
0: interesting so yeah it's a very for, for someone that is especially a high sensory seeker of almost any sense (laughs) um it it can be not the greatest environment for academic achievement shock horror Mm -hmm. um (laughs) which is why like generally if you have someone that struggles in exams but does fine with like assignments and all that sort of stuff that's the sort of stuff i'd be i'd be looking at as well like i know i was the same i'm a very Uh, like a visual uh, i need a lot of visual input to sort of stay regulated um and usually audio like i've literally i reckon the number of hours a day i've got headphones in would probably shock most people like it's it feels like it's almost constant Mm. um and i'm usually listening to music podcasts whatever's going on if i'm out and about like i am taking in everything around me especially if it's a really sort of active area like if we're at a restaurant or you know down in a shopping center or something and there's a lot of visual input happening around like i am taking that all in and the auditory stuff especially sort of i feel levels me out um whereas the visual stuff brings me up and you don't get either of those in exam so I I was the same. I struggled to focus. I would get like almost like a brain fog, which I mean mm-hmm. you get that anyway. It's an exam. there's stress. It's high pressure and that sort of stuff. But um, I would I always this was obviously before too that I knew anything about sensory processing. Probably before I knew anything about OT, even that was an OT exam. But um, yeah, it was it was knowing what I know now. If I if I'd known it back then, or if you it was a thing back then. Cause I don't think it wasn't even taught like none. No one was really doing much in that space. Um, I feel like I probably would have done a bit better on exams if I had some knowledge, not that there's mm-hmm. much I could have done for auditory. I doubt they would have let me, you know, put headphones in <laughs> during you know. an exam or anything like that. But yeah, it's even just having that knowledge. Like I could have prepped myself better prior to it. Um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's it's interesting the different... Uh, I feel like a lot of courses need to... I mean, this is the stuff, this is what we do as OT. So, OT courses probably should, you know, have some knowledge about the okay. sorts of adjustments that could be made for students. And it was good that your professors actually did, like, allow for some adjustments, the stuff that was, mm-hmm. you know, within the scope of, of examination conditions. Um did you find anything, like, did that affect anything else? Like, when you were studying at home and that sort of stuff, did you find? Because um, you don't seem to be very fidgety right now.
1: Yeah, I'm playing with my hands <laughs> Oh, no, I can <laughs> see that. I can't see. <laughs> um, I think at home, yeah, I I study in pretty uncomfortable positions, too. I know you're not supposed to study in bed, but I study mainly in bed. Um. But again, it's never like so our exams they would be I think they were all 3 out, 3 or 4 out. No, yeah, they were 3 hours. Um but I I never study for that long um usually. So I would get up every like 5 or 10 minutes and, you know, go walk to the kitchen or you know, I would move a lot. So it wouldn't be like long periods of time like that, which I think um I just I can't even when I was studying with, for my board exam, it was hard for me to sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to study for the next five hours because, you know, that just sounds like hell for me. But, um, yeah, that I think it's across the board. Like, I usually just don't uh, yeah. sit well for long <laughs> periods of time.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, n- up until that point, yes, after the fact, and nowadays, there's a lot of people that have very sedentary Jobs, but we're not, unless you're already sort of working, and even if you are like starting to work in a position like that, we're not like conditioned to, you know, sit in the same spot for that long. And we're expected yeah. to, like, at the time that it actually matters and you're going to get grades from it, then we're expecting it.
1: Exactly. And even that was a concern that I had for the board exam because. They monitor you so close, I don't know how it is we're like in Australia, we don't have but a
0: board exam. you're the only Again, America has to be different you're the only country that does
1: are you are you serious yes, so well, what do you how I'm, do you You just graduate and you are graduate
0: license? and then I submit a form asking for registration and pay my money, and then a f- couple of weeks later, I get a registration certificate in the mail
1: I hate this country. <laughs> Well, oh my God, that's a bit brutal. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, okay, so I'm like sure I you've said, heard about.
0: I'm well aware of it, yes.
1: Yeah, the four hour exam that we have to take and the testing centers are super intense. They like really like bear like almost have to like pat you down when you go in. and they have like a camera watching you the whole time. like there's a camera in your little cubicle. And so you really can't do any like suspicious behavior because then they like they'll kick you out because they'll they think you're cheating, right? So I was concerned about that because I was like okay, well how am I going to sit for this exam for 4 hours like I haven't you know, I don't go out of my way to train myself to sit still for that long. Um so I was really concerned about that. Um but I think we did it we did an episode about uh kind of like managing anxiety and i used a lot of those techniques during my exam and i was sitting in a semi-uncomfortable position um as much as my chair would allow but uh just using those techniques to kind of like calm myself and uh keep the anxiety at bay i think was super essential
0: so in a cubicle like what was it like a little room
1: yeah, so it's a it's a small room, and then it's just a bunch of little cubicles. Like, so you have a computer in front of you, a keyboard, and then they give you the like noise canceling headphones. But the walls around your cubicle are probably like two feet. to three feet high. Yeah, um, so you're very like in this tiny is it space. Just
0: you sitting the exam, or is it like a whole heap of people?
1: Yeah, so there's um, testing centers here. They uh, usually, I think when I checked in for my exam, they said there was going to be one one other person sitting for that particular exam. But people got, that, it was the same location where I took my GRE, which is kind of like an entr- entrance exam for graduate school. Um, so you, there's just a bunch of different tests that people go to take. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I've never heard of it. Um, all of our exams are at, at the uni, like in the lecture theatres and stuff. Yeah. Weird. So, you did mention that you've done an episode on it. And that's something else I'm very curious about because you started a podcast in amidst all of the chaos of going through OT school.
1: Yeah. Why on earth
0: did you <laughs> make that decision?
1: because we thought it would be easy (laughs) and now now it's no we (laughs) we definitely went into it thinking like oh this is gonna be super easy we'll just record it and then maybe edit it like trim it up a little bit and then post it online uh so we thought maybe you know at most it would be like three hours of work you know full like from beginning to end um for each episode and we actually started it for um, a project, like an ongoing project that our program has us do.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so me and my friend Anna, uh, we were at lunch one day, and we both listened to a lot of true crime podcasts. And we were just kind of like joking around one day, and Anna goes, "You know, maybe we should start a podcast." And I was like, "Oh yeah, like that'd be so cool! Like we we do it about OT, and then we get you know points for this project." And she was like, yeah, like, we could really do it. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, that sounds cool. And then I didn't really, you know, put much more thought into it. And then Anna was really the driving force behind it. Um, I think within, like, a couple of weeks, she, like, was sending me links for, okay, like, we should get this mic. And, you know, we should do this, this, and this. And I was like, oh, we're actually going to do this. Okay. So we did it. And um, we quickly learned that it was a lot more work um, than we were expecting. Um, especially I think on my end, because I'm the one that does all the audio editing and, uh, posting online and all that. So figuring that out was, uh, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of trial and error. And like, I, I, you know, we've switched platforms three times, three or four times. Like it just things that, you know,
0: you don't think about just it
1: amateur, <laughs> amateur mistakes <laughs> for sure.
0: So what was the what was the actual project like? What was the how did that fit whatever the project requirements were like? What was you what were you meant to be doing?
1: So that project um, it was called our professional development portfolio. So the idea was that throughout the course, every semester you have to get three or four you know PDP points, and so um, at the end of the course you have this portfolio of all the extra stuff that you did during your schooling um and you know the idea i think i think the idea is that you turn it into your employer and be like oh like look at what i did outside of what was required for me um and there was different categories so there was one about like like clinical practice one about ethics um there's just a bunch of different categories and so we thought okay like we could just cater the episodes to whatever points we need yep. and so that's kind of how we approached it and it, it ended up working out really well because that's what we did i think 75 percent of my portfolio is just episodes <laughs> that we did
0: it's definitely it's definitely very handy for that if you wanted to do that mm-hmm. and again unlike america we don't have to pay for every single cpd hour that we need so in australia people can claim listening to podcasts making reflections on those sorts of things as cpd hours for their yearly registration yes i'm gonna rub that in because i know how much <laughs> i've seemed to have done that to you this episode
1: and it's funny because i was actually just looking that up like earlier today i was like oh i should probably start doing that soon and i was like looking them up i'm like that's very expensive i don't know if i want to do that quite yet
0: yeah, and even to run I, I believe I've never looked into it but I like I'm pretty sure like if I wanted say this episode to be available for CBD purposes for uh, OT's in the states like I have to pay them for them to essentially certify it and then I have to put some sort of assessment after it and I'm like yeah Where's the where's the yeah okay cool no It's
1: crazy. Yeah.
0: No, sorry United States No (laughs) My bad, (sighs) but no So How far into the course was it Before you started the podcast?
1: We started it about It was our third semester So it was about six months into our program
0: So pretty early
1: Mm Hmm.
0: And you continued it the whole way through Yes and you're going Pretty to continue much. it into the future,
1: yes, definitely um I think uh we're we've been on a little bit of a break right now, just because um i've I, it's my fault too and i'll 'll announce it because i've been going through a lot of like personal stuff, so um between sitting for the board, finding a job there's just been a lot going on so i have life. there is audio banked, <laughs> yeah, life happens, and there's audio banked, and we will have more episodes um as soon as i can edit them
0: <laughs> so what what do you think i guess on top of the 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 content and the learnings and everything from your course what extra do you feel like or if if there is anything do you that you learned through running the podcast that you probably wouldn't have just doing the course as is
1: yeah i think we were able to really dive into um different i mean the things that we've covered in the podcast, I think we've been able to dive into them a little bit deeper um, than what was covered in our courses. So particularly I'm thinking of um, we did one episode where we uh, interviewed a motivational interviewer trainer. Um, So that lecture that we had in class, it was maybe 20, 30 minutes long about how to use MI in clinical practice and we sat down with her and we we talked about MI and how to use it and different techniques um and how to practice it and stuff uh for about like an hour an hour and a half so uh, all of that information I would not have been able babe but I wouldn't have learned it been able to access that had I not done that episode had I not done that interview um and I think to uh, the lived experiences that we interviewed, we interviewed a couple of our professors and kind of dove into their clinical practice and what they learned throughout, you know, their practice. And I think it gave me a better appreciation for the profession and also something to kind of look forward to, you know, I was thinking like, oh, in 20 years, like I'm going to have you know, all these great stories and hopefully, you know, I'm going to be able to say like, these are all the things that I was able to accomplish and do in the profession. And a
0: thousand podcast episodes by then.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) And this is a very loaded question because I already know the answer, but did it open up any other opportunities outside of your course, having the podcast?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we became friends with you, which I think well, that's, truly that's probably unlucky. wouldn't have happened. <laughs>
0: that's very unfortunate. I feel sorry <laughs> for you.
1: No, I think I think that like that's the biggest thing is that it's opened us up to this whole network of other OT podcasters that I mean, I don't know that I would have had access to that had we not had the podcast. And I mean you were very gracious enough to be part of our presentation for our state conference that we presented at last November. And um, that was, that was truly like an out of body experience presenting that because uh, it was virtual last year. So um, we had prepared our presentation ahead of time and uh, recorded it. And then we played it during like our allotted time slot And so we're playing the video and in the group chat of everyone that's attending it and even, you know, in the Zoom um, chat, people were so excited about it and asking all these like really great questions and asking about like, oh, like, how do we get access to this? And it was so crazy. and me and Anna were just so blown away by the response that we were getting. And everyone was super supportive and, you know, knowing that we were students and working on this project. And it was so, it was so reaffirming and it was, it was just wild. Like, I don't know that, like, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be part of this podcasting world and, you know, for the podcast to have gotten us this far and so grateful
0: cuz had you <laughs> was it something that you i guess had told many people that you were doing or is it something you were just kind of doing on the side to tick the box for the assignment
1: the the podcast yeah oh no we i mean no not really like the most i think that i would tell people about it was like posting it on my instagram story you know saying like oh yeah like got a new episode out but like Other than like our classmates, I don't know that many, I mean, I don't think many other people knew that I had a podcast.
0: Yep. Because I'm curious with those kinds of presentations, whether or not um, you end up speaking to a lot of people that already sort of engage in that kind of thing or whether they're like, oh, wow, this is completely new to me kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm did you get any sense of that from the the discussions that were happening about whether or not they were like brand new to podcasts or OT podcasts or whether or not they were, you know, had were aware of them but had just discovered, I guess, your show?
1: Right, yeah. So we actually had like a pre-session discussion board and in that we had asked them like, oh, like, you know, what other OT podcasts do you listen to? And there was only a couple that – um responded to it with other, you know, OT podcasts, including yours, actually. Um, And it felt like the majority of them were attending the session because they were interested in podcasting but hadn't really put much thought. And I think a lot of it, too, was that it was people that listened to other types of podcasts and were saying, oh, I hadn't even really thought about OT podcasting. So... Yeah, I think the majority of them really, they were either new to podcasting or new to OT podcasts for sure.
0: Yeah, that's always because, so the podcast stuff isn't something just for me personally, I don't tell anyone really. I mean, mm-hmm. people close to me will know because I'll see it on Facebook, but I don't tell any of my students. Mm-hmm. And I see on Facebook or Instagram every now and then one of them will find it um, and I'm sure that more of them know about it than than I'm aware of but like it's mm-hmm. not something I ever promote cuz I'm like oh, I don't know for some reason that makes it real and then mm-hmm. um but I always find if I'm doing any kind of talk like that the majority of people are, yeah like you said pro- probably more so listen to like you true crime podcasts or something like that and they're like oh wait you can actually learn ot things on here as well Mm -hmm. Um, and in Australia, we can use that for CPD, so many of them are interested in that process. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) There actually are, although there are, I've I've noticed recently, there are a few of the OT podcasts who have gone down that route and Mm -hmm. been certified so that you can use certain episodes. Um, I know Jason from OT Schoolhouse has a couple, uh, and I know, what was the other one? I think OT Potential um, had a couple that were... I don't know what do they call it certified I guess mm-hmm. so that you could use them for CPD points or hours or whatever you guys call them in the states. Right. Um so it's definitely a, an an area that I think some people are delving into as well which is mm-hmm. it should be kind of cool. Um I just wish it was more accessible. Yeah. Um but yeah everything apparently money makes everything everything happen over there so why well, yeah. not just over there everywhere <laughs> but in the ot world it seems like it over there but yeah yeah so what so you you're planning on like you said continuing the podcast is there any or have you thought about any changes anything you want to update anything you want to do differently with it now that you're Qualified and working, as opposed to being a student, or are you going to keep going with the tried and true format.
1: Um, it's a great question. We haven't really talked about you know changing too much of um what we're already doing, but I think the dynamics going to be more different because we're not living together anymore. So um, that's just kind of something that we need to work out. But I think that. Uh, the our episodes the ones that have had the most listens are the ones where we're talking about our own lived experience with field work specifically because we did a I think it was like a four or five part series with our field work experience Um, and it seems that a lot of people like the heads up before going in and I think that's something that I you know was always looking for before and Uh, I think that's kind of why both of us really like leaned into doing that series was because, you know, fieldwork is kind of scary and people don't really give you like detailed accounts about what it's actually like. And so I think those episodes are super special for us because we were able to share that. And I think it helped. I mean, I'd like to think that it helped a lot of people.
0: Do you get much feedback? Because I know that that's something you hear a lot of AT podcasts, or a lot of podcasters in general, talk about. Is that it's often a very one-way track with information. We put a lot of stuff out into the ether, and you get a little bit back, but not a huge amount. Um, obviously, when you're doing presentations, like your your conference presentation, you, mm-hmm. you've got a lot of people in the room, and you can get live feedback there. But do you do you tend to get a lot of feedback? Uh, just sort of In the normal process of of podcasting?
1: We actually don't. And I think that might be because we don't really interact that much with our listeners. Um I think the most feedback that we do get is from our friends that listen to it. And then they'll come to tell us like, oh hey, I really like this and this really helped. And, you know, it would have been cool if like maybe this had been added. So I think our friends have who are so nice enough to listen to it, uh, there, there, there are focus groups for most things. So yeah, I think that that's our biggest source of feedback, I would say.
0: So one thing I I, I think, and I've spoken to, to other people, uh, like Sarah from OT for Life about, about you guys and about, um, a few others is one thing we've noticed. Um, I think we've, both been running roughly about three years ish now actually i think what's the date i think occupied's birthday was like yesterday
1: (gasps) happy birthday i
0: think i'm gonna double check that before i go because i just like i think i missed it oh no i'm sure i put it in the calendar no we're good it's next month no, it's, not. Oh, okay. it's in May. We got time. We got time. Ah, Wrong month. Okay. I knew it started with them. <laughs> <laughs> We're all good. Um, but one thing we we've noticed is like there was this like when I went, So when I started Occupied, there was maybe like three, maybe two OT podcasts. Um, and then I think it was only a couple months later that Sarah kicked off with OT for Life. And then since then. Probably a year or so after that, there was just this massive boom, and then there was just hundreds of them um, mm-hmm. but if you look through a lot of them are a lot of them are student led which is awesome, but a lot of them sort of do like three episodes and then give up and that's probably because, like you said, you realize how much work it actually can be mm-hmm. um, You guys are probably one of the few student led podcasts that has continued. For a, a decent length of time, what sort of, I guess, is there any advice or tips like if anyone is interested, especially, or well, it doesn't have to be students, anyone really, because if anyone is looking to start a podcast, what sort of advice or tips do you have to, I guess, help or to make sure that they do beforehand or whatever it is to ensure that they keep going and don't just sort of pump out three episodes and then fizzle out?
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing is to find what you're passionate about in whatever you're doing, you know, whatever topics you're covering or, you know, be passionate about your curiosity and really lean into it and lean into it in a way that's going to make you motivated to do the work to find the answers that you're looking for because I think, you know, if we truly, and thankfully, our project, it was, um, it was flexible enough that we were allowed to let our, curio- our curiosity guide us. And, you know, Anna's really good about finding, you know, answers. Like, every time you ask, her, like, hey, like, what's this? She'll Google it right away. She'll be like, I don't know, let's Google it, you know. And I think as, as a team, we're very curious. And I think we kind of helped each other stay motivated in that. And so I think like if people are trying to keep up with their podcast, really like that's got to be the biggest thing. You've got to be curious enough to want to keep going. So just lean into it, you know, find, you know, it doesn't have to be so super stale, you know, whatever you're covering, come up with like a weird question about it and figure it out, you know, find your answer.
0: Do like weird questions. So with the when you first started was there any thought about like sort of either before you started or like when you very first started it was there any thought about it going past graduation or was it just for that project
1: Um I think I think pretty well I don't want to say early on but maybe About six months into it, we had had, like, a discussion where we kind of were, like, you know, we're graduating soon. We should probably talk about, like, what we're going to do after we graduate. And we both agreed, you know, this is something that we are going to want to keep doing because it's so fun. And, you know, the the joy that we get out of putting out these episodes, um, I think, is is our motivator really. So yeah, I think um, it didn't take us very long to kind of agree that we were going to keep doing this past graduation.
0: That's awesome. And I think that the the reason I asked that is I think if you're starting it, especially as a student, I think trying to set it up sustainably is something that can help you, I guess, continue it. So Mm -hmm. I, I think me and Sarah were talking even when we did our episode 100, not long ago, like even from the start, I've occupied like, the numbering system that I used. Like, I deliberately put three numbers across. Even if it was, like, episode one, it was 001. Because I'm mm-hmm. like, it, what happens if I get to 100 and then it goes... Like, if I put 10 and then 100, they're both going to be... If I put them in a list, they're both going to be together. Like, I want them to stay in chronological order. Like, it was little... And then maybe that's just me, but little stupid stuff like that. I'm like, no, I'm going to do this for a long time. So yeah. So... Yeah, I think that that kind of stuff, putting some thought into how it might work, mm-hmm. going long term, um, is is a valuable tool. Awesome.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, because you're ma- you're really like manifesting it, and you're setting it up to be a long term project. Yeah,
0: yeah, hundred percent. I think manifesting is the, the best way of putting it. In my, I. I obviously just laid that out very rudimentary but yeah manifesting it is essentially what you, you're trying to do
1: yeah
0: awesome is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to throw in before we
1: um check us out we are occupation station oh yeah we gonna uh... we'll do that <laughs>
0: so where can people find occupation station
1: you can find Occupation Station on Spotify, Apple Podcast. Uh, we have a link tree uh link in our Instagram and our Facebook bios that you can find all the platforms. We're on a bunch of weird, like tiny, obscure platforms that I've honestly pretty ha- don't much. Use and never anywhere heard
0: of. you can find a podcast. You'll find Yeah. It. But what's uh, yeah. what's your what's your Instagram handle? Great you have question to look
1: it up. Oh. <laughs> it's Occupation Station Pod.
0: And I'll, I'll throw links for all of uh, their stuff, all the Occupation Station stuff. Uh, is there any other way people can get contact, email address or anything if they want to email you about the pod or anything like that? You can't remember it, touching by the look on your face?
1: I'm pretty sure our email is occupationstationpodcast at gmail.com.
0: I will fact check that and I will throw it in the, <laughs> the show notes uh, if I can find it. Thanks so much, dude. It's been real fun and it's about time. It's been too long.
1: (laughs) I know. I'm glad we got to do this.
0: If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to occupiedpodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.